Hey folks, I am Ryan Goodman, and you are listening to the Beef Runner Podcast. Join the conversation and find all my content at beefrunner.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram as Beef Runner. Hey guys, Ryan Goodman here, and welcome to episode 40 of the Beef Runner Podcast. I hope that if you are still social distancing, that you're finding ways to make it enjoyable, make it productive. I know this can be seem like a very distant time for a lot of us. We're not enjoying our normal restaurants, our normal activities, but during this time, other than Zoom calls, there's something that can still bring us all together, and that's conversations around food. So this week on the Over a Beer series, Carrie and I welcome our first guest for the series, and it's Nicole Rodriguez. Nicole is a registered dietitian, a mom and a wife and a fitness enthusiast from the New York City area. So Carrie and I really wanted to connect and sit down for a conversation with Nicole and discuss how she ran into advocacy. That's not every day that you see somebody from New York City area get so involved in agriculture advocacy, especially beef and dairy. So Carrie and I sit down with Nicole over Zoom and virtually have a beer and sit down for this conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, You'll get to hear a little bit of Nicole's perspective on life in New York during coronavirus and social distancing and how things have changed and also what it's like to be grocery shopping in a New York City area. I know out in much rural America, you know, we're driving to the grocery store. I go to Costco twice a month and get all my groceries in one trip, um, but that looks very different in an urban area. So we visit with Nicole a little bit about that. And also we talk about food conversations and how those connect different families and different friends and people during these times. We talk about food marketing science and, and kind of what is the role of food and mental health and well-being when you're raising a family with young kids. That's something that can be really important for a lot of parents during this time of food marketing, food fear, or food shaming. And so we had really good conversations about that. So we look forward to hearing your thoughts after you listen to this podcast episode. Be sure to hit us up. Um, I'm Beef Runner. We've got Derry Carey and you can find Nicole is in Rodriguez RDN on social media. And we hope you enjoy this conversation on food connections with Nicole Rodriguez, registered dietitian from New York. All right, guys, and welcome back to another Over a Beer series episode on the podcast. I'm Ryan Goodman. I'm Carrie Mess. And we are enjoying another beer, and we've got a guest on today. We've got Nicole Rodriguez. She's a registered dietitian, mother, wife, always uh, sharing some good stuff there from New York. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'm going to also add that Nicole is hilarious. I just, I follow her on Instagram, and she's a hoot. Why, thank you. Thank you so much. And I know you probably don't speak Midwestern ease, but saying that you're a hoot is a good thing. I don't know. I know it. Oh, I, I, will, t- I will take that like a badge of honor. That's the best thing slung at me all day. So what's everyone drinking at um, this fine morning hour that we're recording this? Well, here this morning, so Colorado, I get the mountain time zone, so it's still a breakfast beer, but I've got a good uh, Colorado native Pilsner today. No Wisconsin beer because we're still social distancing. Yeah, that's a bummer. I have coffee, but my coffee is mostly rum chata. Oh, I haven't had that in so long. It's a Wisconsin dairy product. Is that right? Okay. So, so that's supportive of our dairy farmers from Chata. Right. Okay. Yeah, I can, and delicious. I can feel good about openly promoting that now. I um I have nothing. I am quarantined at my parents' house in upstate New York, so I'm hiding in one of my mom's bedrooms, and I don't want to get yelled at for spilling anything, even though I'm almost 40 <laughs> years old. It's, you know, 
one of those uh, realities of my life right now. So we'll see what I dip into. Uh, what what I dip into later. My mom have my mom and I have been totally dry during Lent. So we're debating like, oh, what's gonna do on Sunday? What's it gonna be? And yeah. So if you were having a beverage, what would you drink? I go back and forth. I'd say like my top three. I love a I love a Moscow Mule. Uh, I like any kind of dry sparkling wine and on occasion, cause my husband always has it around. He's like a, like a whiskey bourbon kind of a dude. So I might take like a little dip into that. Excellent. Yeah. I'm not slamming shots of that. That's for, that's for sure. <laughs> Me either. I am out. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan drinks my whiskey when he comes to our house. Right. After living in Kentucky, I really got to enjoy bourbon. But then after moving out west, I've kind of enjoyed some uh, Canadian blend whiskeys. Oh, okay. Change of taste. Yep. So Nicole, you live up in New York, just outside of New York City? Yeah. So I live on Long Island, about 45 minutes outside of the city in like a little commuter town that happens to be on the beach. So like on the Atlantic Ocean. Ocean. And right now I'm in upstate New York, a little further up at my parents' house there in the mountains, kind of up here. Yeah, I know New York has kind of been the hot spot for coronavirus during this pandemic and everything. So I imagine life is not normal, but it's, I think it's good that you, you can kind of get away from the heat of everything, uh, enjoy some time with some family there. Yes, it's definitely, it's definitely not normal times. And my husband is still down there and he's considered essential. He works construction, so he's still commuting every day. You know, my friends who are working in clinical have really given me this perspective shift on how I view this, just whatever quarantine, whatever you're calling it, because they're, um, you know, going to the morgue many times during their shift and telling me how they don't have masks to wear nine times out of 10. So it's definitely, definitely scary to hear, but New York has been through crazy stuff before and the other side of it will hopefully be calm and people will be maybe a little bit kinder and more appreciative of one another when the dust kind of settles here. I saw a video online of the 7 p.m. shift change and all the New Yorkers like banging pots and pans out their windows and it just gave me a chill. So New York is a really cool city and so strong. I think, you know, post 9-11, people just really are able to come together in that city in a, in a way that is different from anywhere else, I think. I, I would agree. And those, I saw one of those videos yesterday. A friend of mine is in the Bronx, not far from where my family and I used to live. And all of the whole fire department came out to cheer for them last night. And it made it, it made me cry, but it's, it's so, um, it's so well-deserved. What they're seeing is really, is really traumatic. So what the, what the rest of us can do, you know, staying home and just doing our part. It's such a, it's really just such a privilege that that is our role right now for the rest of us in the surrounding area. Right. Another meme I keep seeing is, you know, our previous generations were called to war. You're being asked to sit on your couch. <laughs> I think we can manage. You know what? I think you could you could deal with that one. Right. So we wanted to kind of talk about what life is like in New York. We wanted to talk, I wanted to talk a little bit about intuitive eating. Ryan had some, some things he wanted to ask. So let's, let's dive into that. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so, so Nicole, to kind of kick off, a lot of people, I know I wasn't familiar with what a registered dietitian is. And so could you tell us, you know, kind of your working, I think that's how we kind of connected 
um, all three of us with your work, you know, being an advocate for agriculture, but then your work as a registered dietitian. What is a registered dietitian and, and what does that work entail? And why are you not a nutritionist? <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to dive into first. So I think we're, we're living in this really interesting time from a, you know, obviously social media perspective, right? Everyone has their platform and everyone has a voice and it's really easy to confuse the two. What is a registered dietitian versus a nutritionist? So to become a registered dietitian, you need to complete a very specific set of coursework and a bachelor's of science at the very least. And then you have this 50% chance of being matched to a program where you get to work for free for a year and then, um, and then take clinical exams and of course like our coursework is all about various sciences and human metabolism and food service and all of these different things and different ways that a registered dietitian might serve the public and then your clinical rotation your internship echoes a lot of those different modules so you know food service community work clinical work you're learning tube feeding calculations private you know private practice settings so all of those different things and then sitting for an exam so that's kind of like the long and the short of what we do and when i was kind of this is my second career and when i was kind of on the fence i remember my mom sending me a picture it was a dog holding a certificate like I'm a nutritionist. And the point was you could just like go online and take a week course or maybe even a day course now and call yourself a nutritionist. And you really don't have all of that work backing up what you do. So that's really like some of the takeaway, like differences. So normally what I would be doing is working, I work in home with my clients. I help them out with their meal prep, on-hands cooking lessons and things like that. I'm still able to touch some of my clients virtually whom I'm working with just on, you know, improvement with their relationships with food, um, or maybe they're on a prescribed like macronutrient calculation they're trying to follow, whether it's to gain muscle or lean out. It, you know, it's all um, different things. I live in a pretty fitness-oriented city, so I think that plays a role into whom I work with and the kind of clients I attract. But it's it's pretty varied. So, how did you come from being a registered dietitian involved in food and then getting involved in agriculture advocacy? Because you've gone on a lot of farm tours and on Instagram, you're always talking about the connection of the farm uh, to the food. So, maybe in 2016, I just had a blog up because everyone has to have a landing page now, right? And I had written something about being able to shop for groceries in a way that's shame-free. I live in a largely urban area, despite being on the beach, and we're pretty disconnected from where our food comes from. And there is a lot of misguided conversation surrounding food and surrounding agriculture and quote-unquote big ag, if you will. So I had written some short piece about shopping for groceries shame-free, and somehow our Beef Council dietitian picked up on it, who I kind of like admired from afar as a student, like, oh my God, she talks about beef for a living. I love beef. This is amazing. And uh, she invited me on a farm tour and I just felt like, wow, like 
A, these are my people. They know what they're talking about and they're just taking it back to a, a lot of the science. And that should, in theory, put people's mind at rest about some of their food concerns, right? And at that time, the MBA program was offered as just an option. And I just wanted to learn more and had some other opportunities to see processing facilities and other ranches. And you know, I've seen other farms that are not animal agriculture related, but really that being my passion, because I feel like beef and dairy in particular are so misunderstood. And I think they're so important in the everyday diet. I love how just all in you got. You're <laughs> like, this is cool. I am in. <laughs> yeah. And I, and like, I think it is, it is really cool. I've never been particularly drawn to like working with brands or just any supplement or anything, but I really just wanted to find a way to partner with industry and especially industry that seems to be under fire, just like literally every day at something. So just, I like to champion what I'm, I'm passionate about. I'm like, Hey, drink your milk and eat your steak. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. I'm a big fan of the Myers-Briggs personality tests or types. Do you know your Myers-Briggs off the top of your head? No, I don't. Is that like, is it, is it the one, two, three, four? No, that's an Enneagram. Okay. You're like champion for the underdog and, and just your personality. I have a feeling we're the same Myers-Briggs type. Oh, can I, can I take the test online? Yes. Okay. I'm doing it. I kind of came to ag in the same way. I didn't grow up in a farm or anything. I had no farm connection, but I was like, this is cool, I think. And then I was like, I'm going to jump in <laughs> totally over my head. It was great. But I, I kind of feel that same call to like, I just want people to understand. And I get that they don't, but I, I have the responsibility to help them understand, right? Yes. I read, I read something by a PhD over at Bayer, uh, Cami Ryan. I don't know if you, you guys probably follow her too. And Cami is awesome. She's amazing. And it's always this question, like, what do you lead with? Because it's hard not to just lead with, Hey, this is common sense. And this is science. Like really, there's no there's no need for you to worry, but you know, what the research has shown and what we've all encountered is like, okay, that doesn't work. And there needs to be that emotional connection. And that's something I'm working on all the time. How can I better connect that way? But recently she said, if you're in a position of being credentialed or of a certain level of education in her, in her case, it's, it's your moral responsibility to share that sound science in whatever way you see fit, whatever way resonates. But it's, it is like, that's my moral obligation is to get some of that out there. I agree. I think Ryan does too. Maybe. See, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan is the introvert in this conversation. <laughs> so Nicole and I are just going to talk and Ryan gets to be the color commentary. <laughs> Hey, I think we figured it out on, I think it was my Christmas visit. So Carrie and I were sitting there and another one of my friends showed up and they get together. They're both extroverts and they just keep talking and I'm just enjoying the conversation. <laughs> he was happy as a clam and completely silent. <laughs> he's, he's smiling. He's smiling. Oh yeah. Gotta love those science conversations and that can make it controversial a lot when we get, and I think all three of us have been involved in those conversations. Because Nicole, something that I really love and I want to, get a little bit of your opinion about it is that you're always, uh, you're a big fan of agriculture, you know, steak and, and dairy, whatever that might be, but you're also a big proponent of plant-based. And I think a lot of people disagree on how we define plant-based. So 
how do you define a plant-based diet? So I look back to our, I'm also one of those people who feel strongly about the government guidelines. I think my plate, if you look at it, my plate is plant-based, right? So first of all, we got a, a nine inch, nine inch plate, a quarter of it is protein. And, you know, my opinion is if you're filling basically the rest, the other three quarters with plant products, and I'm talking like from plants, you know, you're a quarter for starch, maybe that's potato, right? whatever and the other half being vegetables with some fruit mixed in and of course your dairy on the side or whatever maybe it's cheese on a burger that day literally you're looking at 75 percent of your meal is grains and vegetables so mathematically that is to me plant-based so there's there's that there is room on your plate for that animal product and I think something that really resonated with me from Dr. Place, who I just like such a rock star. That's Sarah Place, right? And yeah, Sarah, every time I said, like, oh my, I walked into a couple of <laughs> like farms, I'm like, oh my God, Dr. Place is here. <laughs> like, you know, I like freak out. She coins beef as the original plant based protein. And that is just so, so spot on because. We know that a lot of where our food waste issues are coming from is actually more from that plant agriculture sector, right? There's, uh, I think it's, it's fruits and vegetables are, I think, three times more likely to go to waste than their animal-based counterparts. So if we have animals that are taking, you know, inedible forage, and in many cases, some of these plants that are otherwise going to go to waste, like that animal took these plants and didn't just like spit out some plant-based whatever that they don't want to eat. That animal made it into something delicious and more nutritious. So it's like, why wouldn't we want to be utilizing that? So there's, it's plants all around, really. I have to say these farm tours are working because you just dropped forage in a sentence with not even a pause. <laughs> <laughs> so good job. My handle online is beef runner and people take that very literally. And so I'll jump into some of the uh, runner Facebook groups or, or what forums and people will be like, yeah, vegan diet. Who's on a, pl who's on a plant-based diet. And I'll say I'm plant-based. 75% of my plate is plant-based. And then the other quarter would be an animal protein. And there's usually more people that like that because everybody wants to shout being plant-based, vegan, vegetarian, everything. But Yes. Um, I know we don't want to get too deep in, into the uh, doom and gloom of what we're currently facing, but I think what this has shown, it's like a lot of those quote-unquote like diatribes, I feel like they're a little quieter right now because in times like this, you're probably going to reach for, you know, A, what you could get, but B, what you're going to enjoy what you really want when you can get it, right? So I like that a lot of that seems to to have died down and people are kind of going back to basics a little bit. Yeah, I've seen a couple headlines where it's like the resurgence of the middle of the grocery store in processed foods right now because people are like, A, it'll last and B, that tastes good. <laughs> That's his damn right. Yeah. I may have a Costco sized box of cheese nips that we've been into a lot lately. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask you about we have another friend in common, I think, and that's Kara Harbstreet. Yes. 
Um, I met Kara several years ago in Germany. We were on a trip together and I had never heard of intuitive eating in my life. And I don't know that you practice that, but you you seem to kind of go along that. I learned about intuitive eating from her. I've read up on it and I'm trying to practice those principles in my own life because honestly, my relationship with my body and food was not good. I just really like the idea behind intuitive eating of let's let go of all all the shit that comes with food, like the emotional mind play. So can you talk about that a little bit? Explain it or, or your thoughts on it? And, and it's okay if you don't agree. Yeah, I just yeah, would yeah. love to hear it. For sure. So I am I am not a certified intuitive eating counselor. And that is definitely a thing. You know, I have read the bulk of Evelyn's book, Evelyn Tribble, who really kind of started that movement. And I would say that as a parent, I'm definitely trying my best to raise an intuitive eater. And I'm very mindful about the things we tell ourselves and the things that we put out, the language surrounding food. Does that make sense? Totally. I feel like that's a huge component of intuitive eating is like breaking down some of that good and bad, some of that categorization. And I think as dietitians, like I think we need, we all need to do some of that. I think we all need to break down some of those black and white thinking patterns. And what kind of ties into this whole conversation, it's taking the morality out of food. You know what I mean? So why are we talking about this? Like the way we would talk about we committed a crime, you know, like, oh, I'm so bad because I had this. And oh, this feels like I need to punish myself for eating that. And, you know, although that's not like necessarily my specialty, it's something more and more, especially right now that I'm trying to hone in on with the clients I do work with virtually, because there is a lot of guilt and panic surrounding food right now, because we're, we're at home more often. We're probably snacking more often. We're more in search of comfort routines are upturned and things like that. So I was just talking about this on another podcast yesterday, someone saying, you know, I don't know if it was right, but normally I would be watching WrestleMania this weekend with my friends. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I had, you know, so I had pizza and had some fudge covered Oreos. And is that bad? And like, of course, that's not bad. And I think the other thing I like about intuitive eating is recognizing the other things that food can mean to us. It means family. It means celebration. It means connection just like with other people in general. It's not all, you know, I think we need to erase this idea that food is only about nutrition. We don't serve ourselves that way and we miss out on a lot that way. So I said, you know what? I'm glad. I said, I'm glad that you had your pizza. Like, I'm glad that you had your Oreos, because if, if little things like that are connecting you back to your normal world right now, I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I agree. I grew up being a forced member of the Clean Plate Club. Ah. And now I've got two little boys and I struggle because I want them to eat dinner. <laughs> And I don't want to have this huge fight, but also I don't want to set them up with the same kind of mental framework that I got from when I was being a kid and, and not listening to their bodies about when they're full or what they do or don't like. And it's hard, man. It's really hard. I, I think that part is 
part of it, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very protective about the conversations that go on around my child, just like surrounding food in general. You know, I'm very careful not to say, oh, this is good or this is bad or this has too much this or that. And I want her to grow up eating dessert every night and seeing me eat dessert every night as just like, hey, this is just something we do and and nothing is off limits. We keep treats and we keep a wide variety of things in the house. And I'm really pleased with the way that she's pretty much been able to self-regulate and just, you know, there are times when she turns down dessert I offer her. She just, she self-regulates, but it just happens so quickly. This introduction, probably with little boys too, but especially with little girls, as I'm sure you can recall, just these ideas of just like little offhanded jokes people make in conversation. Like when we we're selling Girl Scout cookies, there was a lot of like, oh, I'm going to get fat because you gave me all these Girl Scout cookies. I'm like, God damn it. Like, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to have that language surrounding fun foods or even like, God bless my mother-in-law, but came over and like, like if, if we're serving pasta, I'm going to let my kid have as much as she wants. Like, it's just, Hey, if you're not full yet, go ahead. It's delicious. Have had it. And there was an occasion where it was just like, Oh, she's really, wow. She's really eating a lot. Oh my God. Did you see how many plates of pasta she had? Shut the f up like you know, just like there's so many like little things we we put in kids heads from a young age um but i think you know like having that little bit more of an intuitive framework at home is going to serve them better than if you were at the other extreme right I totally agree. One of the things that I personally have have like really had to wrap my brain around, again, I have little boys and I do think that generally there's more pressure put on girls in this framework. But my youngest son was born with birthmark that covers 50% of his body. You know, we can't remove it. It's too big to really do that. So what I need to do is to teach him to love the body that he was given. And in order to do that, I probably need to love the body I was given. Yeah. So um, I'm working on it now for myself so that when he's older and he understands, he can see that as an example for him. Yes. It's a lot. And it all comes back to food. It does. It comes back to food. But I think it also, I think it also comes back. I'm just like, you know, reflecting on, on work I've done as an intern with kids and, you know, working in this fitness space. Like you have to have some appreciation for everything your body does. And I don't know if that's necessarily one of the main tenets of intuitive of eating per se, but you got to put that out there. Like, wow, look what my body has carried me through, or look what I'm literally able to do all day long. That has, you know, nothing to do with how it looks, but everything to do with how I, you know, how I live my life and how I just am able to stay active. When I had both of my sons, like the first thing that I, especially with Silas, my first, my first thought was, holy shit, I made that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, Whoa, pretty, pretty amazing. original 3D printer right here. <laughs> Made that. <laughs> I did that. We should probably let Ryan say something. <laughs> the non-parent over here. Uh, no, one thing I would say when it, when it comes to mind is, Nicole, I think you're also doing an awesome job and you're introducing science to your daughter really early. I love your Instagram stories where she comes out and she says, uh, you're in the grocery store, you're shopping, and she says, mommy, it's the butterfly you don't like. Yeah. So we've had a lot of early conversations about marketing. You know, I've had the, I've had the opportunity to just 
I don't know, just had the time to take a deeper dive into some of these hot button issues that everyone seems to talk about. Because once again, just taking it back to where we live, we're at the farmer's market and people are like, oh, is that sprayed? Is this sprayed or it's organic? Like no one even understands that organic can have pesticides on it. And there's literally a sign, oh, we're growing non-GMO produce. So I want to have these conversations with her now so that she could just be an informed consumer and just have a little bit more appreciation. She says she wants to be a scientist. She's all about Marie Curie and all this great stuff. But having an appreciation of like, what can these things provide for the entire world beyond us it's not it's it's not about oh we have the choice to go pick between this that has a label or doesn't because that's that's meaningless but the technology that people are always slandering can help feed this world hopefully by 2050 right so i just i want her to have a little bit more of that understanding so living in a suburb well not even a suburb we're a bedroom community as well but we're right in between madison milwaukee you know i grew up in madison and our grocery shopping trips i think are pretty different than yours right right? we hop in a car we go to a large grocery store or costco and we load up for a week, week and a half if we're lucky. Right now, we're trying to do like two weeks at a time just so we're not out there that often. And as I'm talking to other people online, they're not understanding what it looks like to go grocery shopping in someplace like the city where you're, you know, mass transit to get to groceries or you're just shopping at the corner bodega. Your your grocery stores are smaller footprints. And my husband and I were in New York City in December. And because we're geeks like this, we found grocery stores specifically and went and checked them out. And if you like look at my New York City photos, half of them are from grocery stores. Like I just was like taking all the pictures because I found it so interesting. But I would really love for you to share share what grocery shopping looks like for you compared to those of us who are not in a really urban area. Yeah. So, so first of all, I do that too. Wherever I go, I want to see what the grocery store is like. I find it fascinating. And that's like where I get souvenirs from. I just find it magical. So I'm a little bit more in like a slightly suburban area now, but I attended undergrad in New York City lived in a borough, lived in another borough. So I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time in that super urban environment and it's, it's really shaped the way I shop. So even now I'm walking distance to my grocery store. So I still, I like almost refuse to get in my car to go to the grocery store when I'm at home. And I love to shop every single day. It's just like, it's a it's a ha- it's a, a really tough habit for me to break just because it's not this big, you know, current situation notwithstanding, but normally it's just like, oh, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take a walk at a certain time and I'm going to pick up my groceries and go home and pick out the bread I want that day and so on and so forth. So it's definitely shaped my habits that way. It's just how I shop. But when you're in, you know, like when you're in Manhattan, first of all, it's very cost prohibitive to do a lot of 
major grocery shopping. So I think that's one of the reasons why takeout culture is so strong there because sometimes you like a your kitchen is tiny doesn't really make you want to cook unless you're <laughs> multimillionaire maybe you have like a bigger kitchen space so there's that there's also smaller stores and then when i was in the bronx the supermarket is not only small but it's just not a great supermarket so you find yourself like okay i will go to the supermarket for this i'll go to the little they'll call it like a green market store basically like a big outdoor fruit and vegetable stands for that and then if you're lucky there's a you know a fish store and then some kind of ethnic market so you really end up going to maybe four or five places on a grocery run for one dinner it's definitely it's definitely unique I noticed when we were there, there was a couple like carts just selling fruit, like small carts. And I was actually pretty impressed that prices like on a pint of raspberries was like two bucks or something. I'm like, that's not bad for a pint yeah, of raspberries. Yeah, those are definitely one of the brighter spots. During undergrad, pursuing my nutrition degree, I worked with um, the New York City Department of Health. And they have an amazing farmer's market program. So I worked some of those in the Bronx and Washington Heights. And the prices there on produce were very reasonable. So, you know, like you have your bright spots, but people would be coming to the market and then and making a stop somewhere else. There's very little one-stop shopping, um, especially if you're not driving. You're not going to truck it out to a big box unless you have a car or you have a fourth floor walk-up yeah there's and right there's that too to haul a massive amount of groceries up four flights of stairs to your apartment yeah right? so like a you're walking all over the place to pick things up and b yeah you're you're going up at least a flight of stairs nine times out of time and i'm gonna bet that most people in new york city that like in the city probably don't have the biggest refrigerator known to man like i do because my whole goal when i bought a new fridge was to get the absolute biggest fridge i could fit in the fridge hole in my kitchen yeah you're, you're talking like very small refrigerator, a, you know, a stove that's definitely fewer than 30 inches, probably like a 26 inch stove. In a lot of cases, very minimal counter space. So it's not super conducive to pulling out amazing meals. It'd be tough for sure. And it's just so different. I mean, I, I don't know, is there even a Costco in Manhattan? I don't think there's one in Manhattan. I know there's one a little bit outside of the Bronx. And I don't know if you guys have them out there, but everyone speaks so highly of Wegmans. I guess it's like a, oh, yeah. Wegmans. You, you even know, right? I do. <laughs> and uh, and there will be one of those in, I think one of them just opened in Brooklyn. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, these places are, are there. It's just not super easy to get to. Yeah. Or to haul back from. Super interesting. And it reminds me a lot of kind of how they shop in Europe too. Yeah. It's that kind of vibe for sure. Yeah. That's very different to me. So like we've got a Costco next to our work, uh, next to our office. And so I'll go maybe two times a month and I'm a creature of habit. So I always load up probably about $150 in food. And then I stop at our little Safeway store that's in our town of about 1400 that I live closer to to get my fresh produce. And then, so like I go to the grocery store maybe a couple of times a month, even just eating for one, but I'm that's very different than what we've got out yep. here. My last Costco bill was over $600. Out of stock up. 
I was out of everything, but still, literally, my car was full. I didn't take my kids because I needed the space of their seats <laughs> to bring everything home. That's a lot of food. And we're almost through it. Awesome. So, Nicole, we're kind of getting to kind of our goal of time, but can't let you go without fitness and exercise part of your work. Because I think that that's a lot of what you do. We talked a lot about food. How did you get started and get kind of tied into to exercise routines and kind of the fitness world? Yeah, so when I left the beauty industry, I knew I wanted to dive in somewhere into fitness and food. And obviously getting into that fitness space was the, you know, the easier, like first way to get your foot in the door. So I became certified and I started working just like at a community fitness center to start before I took on private clients. And now, you know, currently I think what's really interesting is helping everyone adapt to their current situations and their current limitations. So I don't work one-on-one as often as I used to, but I do sort of like prescribe fitness plans and, you know, writing someone's programs And all of a sudden it was like, oh, you have this amazing program. Oh, wait, all the gyms have closed or, you know, I can't walk or run where I normally did. I think that's just like a big frustration everyone is feeling right now. But I used to train people like in my apartment in the Bronx, we would like pull out some mats and equipment my husband had built. And I think there's a lot you could do with really minimal equipment. And that's One thing I'm kind of enjoying in that fitness influencer space right now is that whether they're selling something or not, a lot of people are stepping up to showcase what you could do in a tiny space with maybe a band or seeing people working with water jugs and things like that. So there's plenty that can still be done. I'm into like heavy weight training, not powerlifting per se, but I'm feeling very, very grateful that I am at my mom's with my Olympic barbell and a bunch of weight plates in the basement and a bench. So I'm, I'm taking advantage of that. That's awesome. I don't even have a gym membership and obviously not into weights if you look at that, but I am probably pretty lucky because I've got 31 miles on the schedule for tomorrow and I will run that on dirt roads and not have to do any backtracking or out and back and make one big loop of 31 miles around my house, all on dirt and gravel roads in the middle of pine trees. So it's done. And just touching on, you know, moving your body. It's like what's simple is never sexy, but it's the truth, right? Like a lot of science thing, like my biggest thing with everyone is try to walk more because it, it really is your, it's, it's like the secret ingredient to feeling good. And just whether it's an aesthetic goal or just a mental goal of how you feel in your own body, walking just feels good. And it's, you know, low stress on your joints and it's free. Really can't emphasize that enough to people like go take a walk. It's good for your head too. Yep. It's often, sometimes I'll struggle to get, just get out and get moving, but I never regret getting that time to move. Exactly. And then the benefit is then I can really enjoy some food afterwards. Always. always. Because I'm usually working up a good appetite. (laughs) (laughs) So Nicole, I have a question for you. What are you doing the third weekend in September? The third weekend in September? It depends how bad depends how badly COVID takes over my life. As of as of now, it's over. As of now, it's open. Well, we're hoping that everything goes well because I think you should really join our crew to go to Cheese Days in Monroe, a festival that celebrates cheese and beer. That sounds magical. Where is that? It's amazing. 
It's just south of Madison. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think you should join the club and, and come to Cheese Days. <laughs> I haven't I haven't been to Wisconsin in like twelve years. Or right, you know what? Shoot me shoot me an email. I feel like when that's one of those trips like that I could probably talk the whole family into it and uh, eat a lot of cheese. And it is a good time. Just enjoy my and then you can come to our farmer's market in Madison, which is the largest producer only farmer's market in the nation. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So now we've got our non-sponsored plug for cheese days, this uh, yodeling contest, uh, cow milking contest, and then we're going to go to the farmer's market. Not sponsored by anyone. No, but if we had sponsors. Just plugging it. Right. Just plugging it. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Nicole, before we head out, um, tell us where we can find you online and why we might should follow you on Instagram. Uh, yeah, you can find me at enjoyfoodenjoylife.com. And on both Twitter and Instagram, I am nrodriguezrdn. I so appreciate the opportunity to talk to you both and my to your listeners, like my my door, my ear, my DMs are always open to ways that I can just better advocate for what you all do. So shoot me a message. Thank you, Nicole. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Very glad to uh, to have this conversation. I think we could go on for a couple of hours. I need more coffee. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to catch you sometime after Lent, and we'll, then we'll then we'll all share a bunch yes. of drinks. But um, yes. and and definitely glad to have you on our team uh, as far as advocacy, talking about farming, where food comes from, and getting that word out. So we definitely appreciate that. My pleasure.